Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our All I Want for Christmas sermon series. During this series, we'll rediscover the true meaning of Christmas as we remember and recenter the holiday on Jesus Christ, the greatest gift in history. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, welcome everybody. We're glad you're here. If you're a guest who is here today, we're thrilled you're here. If you're coming because you got a postcard or you were at the live activity, thank you for coming. Uh, and as David said, please stop by the welcome desk in the lobby. We have a gift that we would love to give you. I also need to make one special announcement. Uh, we sort of put out a call at the end of the week uh, to help take down from the live nativity. Uh, I got a text just uh, briefly uh, not too long ago that said uh, there was a crew that went in at 7 a.m. and they've got the, the park all cleaned up. So don't rush down to do that. Yeah, praise God. So as we prepared for this Advent and Christmas season, you can tell by the video you just saw, we, we wanted to little, have a little fun uh, with the title of this series, All I Want for Christmas Is. So uh, uh, we're going to be looking at that. Uh, you, you know, look, the world has uh, taken Christmas in, in many ways, sort of taken it toward the, the commercial side. You, you know, you may remember the uh, song from uh, a, a New York school teacher that was written in 1944, All I Want for Christmas Is My... Two front teeth. Uh, I think Mariah Carey released a new version of it in the late 90s, uh, All I Want for Christmas is You, sort of a love story. But what do the scriptures, particularly what do the scriptures about the birth of Jesus Christ tell us about what God wants for us? We're going to look at that over the next weeks. And we're going to start today uh, with this idea that... that, uh, uh, all I want for Christmas is to be part of something bigger than myself. So if you would bow your heads with me and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can celebrate the birth of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us and direct us through your word, through your scriptures, through the season, and that you would meet us here, that you would meet us here and speak a word into each one of our lives. So, Lord, have your will and your way in my life and speak uh, through me or, or around me if you need to. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start this morning with a scripture that we don't usually start with in the Advent season. Uh, we usually end the Advent season with this. We're going we're to start with a scripture from the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, your, your smartphone apps, or if you don't, you can watch on the screen. We're going to read the story of the Magi from Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, 
go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on the way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Not a lot is known about the Magi. They were considered wise, so uh, we assume that they were scholars, people who studied the stars in the heavens. Uh, Ancient history mentions that the Magi were part of a priestly group in Persia, which is east of Israel, um, that they would have overseen some religious rituals, and they also would have been advisors to kings and queens and emperors and others in the court. You know, in in my mind, uh, it's probably... Uh, created by what the media has portrayed, uh, what the Magi were like. But in, but in my mind, I see them in, 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 a, in a room, uh, a room almost like a library filled with, with scrolls or, or maybe even some bound volumes uh, with maps rolled out on the table, not maps of the earth necessarily, but, but maps of the heavens and the stars and the constellations. And, and in my mind, there's got to be a window uh, where you have a telescope where you, where you can look out and, and study the stars. Uh, you know, you know the, the, the Magi, what we can know about them uh, because of what history tells us is that they were scholars. They were students. They, they were people who, who observed uh, the world and the heavens, and they discerned what was going on. You, you know, to me, uh, today, uh, university professors, in my mind, sort of would be Magi. You know, people who study, who teach, who, who write, who try to, to figure things out, try to understand things. But, but here's what I don't see about the Magi, which honestly conflicts with the story. What I don't see is part of their normal jobs would not have been, in my mind, to be ambassadors to go and welcome a new king or a new queen. Uh, usually heads of state go and welcome new monarchs, new emperors. So what that tells me about the Magi is that what they saw, what they understood about what they saw, what they believed about what they saw in the heavens was so significant, was so important, was so out of the ordinary that they had to go, that that they had to leave their their studies. They had to leave behind their maps of the constellations, their their telescopes, whatever they used back then, and and they had to to leave and and go and see what they had understood. And I find it interesting that in the scripture they refer to the star as his star. As his star. You, You know, I believe that the Magi went because they wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. You know, they didn't want to spend all of their lives, you know, stuck in the study, stuck in the library with their eye looking at the heavens, trying to figure things out. They they saw something that was 
so significant, so out of the ordinary, so unusual, that they wanted to be part of it. They wanted to be part of something bigger than their mundane lives as scholars and advisors. They sensed that God was up to something that was going to change the world, and they were going to be a part of it. And so they followed that star. I'll come back to the, to the Magi. But, but here's a couple of points that I want you to see about how the Magi's lives parallel the opportunity before us. And, and here's the first point that, that I want to make, and it's this. God has a big plan for us. That's right. God has a big plan for us. If you read the Bible from front to back, you start with the the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, you you read the story of creation. You see how God created the heavens and the earth and and the animals and the people and and put them on the earth. And, And what we see in there is that God created humans and made them different than everything else that God created. In fact, God created humans so that he could be in a relationship with them, so he could know them and so they could know, so they could know him. But as you all know, there's a problem in that relationship because something enters in that relationship between humans and God, and it's sin. And, and sin breaks that relationship. Sin uh, breaks what God desires for us. Now, some of us say, well, wow, we... We broke the plan that God had for us right at the very beginning, right right as what God created was just getting started. Some people think that. Some people think that sin ruined God's plan. But here's something we need to know about God. God is all-knowing, omniscient, theologians say. He knows everything. He knew what our first parents were going to do. He knew. They would be enticed by the serpent, which was uh, the embodiment of Satan, that they would be tempted to want to be like God. That's what Satan said. If you eat this apple, you will be like God. And so they disobeyed God's command not to eat from that tree. And sin entered the world, and, and obviously it, it broke what was in motion. But there's an interesting verse right up in the beginning of the book of Genesis. In chapter 3, verse 15, we're going to put that on the screen. Uh, This is is called, well, let me read it. Uh, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is God, uh, after he's punished Adam and Eve, he's punishing the serpent. He's saying, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Theologians call this the proto-evangelum. I'll put that word on the, on the screen behind me. It's a huge word. Um, it's, it's a Greek word. It means literally the first gospel. The first gospel, the proto-evangelum. Here's what it is. This verse introduces two elements that were previously unknown in the Garden of Edens, but elements that are the basis of our faith. The curse on humanity because of Adam and Eve's sin and God's provision for a Savior from sin who 
who will take the curse of sin upon himself. Now, if you go back and study this on your own, and I encourage you to, verse 14 is clear that God is speaking to the servant, and he curses the servant to crawl on his belly and eat dust all of his days. But in verse 15, God switches from speaking directly to the serpent, and he he begins to speak to Satan, and he curses Satan to be forever at war against humanity, depicted as the seed, the offspring of the woman. Now, the woman in question, in the general sense, is Eve, and all of All of her offspring would forever be harassed by Satan. But theologians point out, more specifically, the the offspring of this woman refers to Jesus Christ, uh, uh, who was born of a woman, we read in Scripture. Uh, The enmity or the hostility and hatred spoken of here is that hostility and hatred between Jesus Christ and Satan. Uh, The seed of the serpent would be evil people, demonic forces, uh, um, those who sought to destroy the Savior, to condemn the Savior, and to have him crucified. But Jesus' death was not the final act. We know from Scripture that Jesus rose again on the third day, and he, he paid the price for the sin of all the world, all who would believe in Jesus. The ultimate victory was Christ. Because of, uh, of what Jesus did on the cross, he crushed Satan's head, defeating him forever. So the Proto-Evangelum shows us that God always had the plan of salvation in mind, and informed, of his, of his, informed us of his plan as soon as the world was begun. God has a plan for us. And you, when you read the Old Testament, as you, as you walk through the scriptures, you see this. In, in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, we have this, this scripture, verse 6 from chapter 7. God is speaking and he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the people on the faces of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You've heard of the Jews being the chosen people. They were chosen by God, his treasure. He loves them. God's plan was being revealed. Now, his plan was As we learn, not just for his chosen people, it was actually for for all people who would become God's chosen, not by physical birth, but by spiritual birth. Uh, We see a prophecy in the book of Isaiah where where God is speaking to his servant that we know is Jesus. And in Isaiah 42, verse 6, we read this, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness I will take hold of your hand, I will keep you, and I will make you a covenant for the people, for the Jews, and a light for the Gentiles. You know, in the Old Testament, they really divided the world into two people groups, Jews and non-Jews, and they referred to non-Jews as Gentiles. So he's saying, listen, I have called you to be righteous, I will take hold of you, I will keep you, and I will make you a covenant, a promise, the fulfillment of the covenant to My people, the Jews, and to my people who believe in me, who become my people by faith. I will be a light to them, a light 
earlier on in the book of Isaiah, something that uh, Stephen and Stephanie read this morning, uh, the prophet is inspired to write these words from chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And we jump on down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All names that are given to Jesus. Those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned on them. As you read the story of the birth of Jesus, you get into the book of Luke in the second chapter, and and he's been born, and his parents are taking him to the temple to dedicate him, to, to say, God, thank you for this child. We want you to bless him. It was something that, that every good uh, Jewish family would do. And while they are going in there to the temple to dedicate their infant son, they're met by an old man named Simeon, a man who has sensed that God would not allow him to die until he saw the salvation of Israel. So... God has a great big plan. Here's the second point I want you to know. God wants you to be part of his plan. That's right. God wants you to be part of his plan. God desires for us to be sons and daughters by faith. Sons and daughters by faith. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined, we read, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession praise of his glory. God's plan was to save all people. The Jews first, and then the Gentiles. You and me. God's plan is that when we believe in Jesus, we are saved, and we become part of the family of God. We become sons and daughters. And just so you know, he's given you a guarantee just so you'll understand, so you'll have an assurance that you have been saved and that God has invited you to be a part of his bigger plan, he makes a deposit in you, a guarantee called the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit come to do? The Holy Spirit comes to guide you and teach you into everything that Jesus, the Son of God, has taught. So if you've trusted Jesus, then you're saved. You're part of God's great big plan. For as the Apostle Paul said, the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So, here's what we need to know next. We understand God's plan when we are focused on Jesus. When we are focused on Jesus. Have you ever thought about this? God met the Magi where they would understand it in the stars. You know, 
If a Hebrew prophet came to them, they wouldn't have accepted it. God met them where they would understand it. He meets you and I where we understand it. He sent Jesus to live a life like ours so we would meet God in the flesh and understand God. So those magi saw his star, this bright star, this unusual star, this once-in-a-lifetime star, and they began to focus on it. It was so unusual. It, it was so different. It was so significant that they couldn't stop looking at it. In fact, it was so significant, so out of the ordinary, so such a once-in-a-lifetime thing that they said, you know what? Forget this stuff. Let's go see what is happening. Now, they may not have attributed it to God at that point, but they said, something's going on, and we want to be a part of it. We don't want to say, wish I had been there, wish I had done that. They went. They went. Now, I think about the Magi. You, you, you know, those folks had a lot of faith in what they were seeing. They were so convinced that this star was something significant, that, that it was foreshadowing the birth of a new king, a, a once-in-a-lifetime king, that they took gifts with them. They were ready. You know, they took expensive, valuable gifts with them. And they were so convinced that this thing was ordained, that it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, that it was going to happen. Did you notice who they went and asked where the new king was? They went to the current king who was sitting on the throne. Wow. The king who probably would be a little upset if there was a new king in town, right? The king who would be threatened. And if you know anything about Herod, Herod was not a nice guy. Herod had some of his own family members killed when he thought they were aspiring to take over his throne. Fixed their eyes on the star, on his star. And they followed him. When they found Jesus, they worshipped him. God used the Magi to be part of his plan. They were something bigger than themselves. They, they did something that lasts longer than they did. We don't know their names. Well, the tradition has some names for them. We don't know how many of them. Tradition says there were three. We don't know. We don't know how they got there. Tradition says they rode camels. I've even seen some that said he rode an elephant. One of them rode an elephant. But, but we don't know. But what we do know is they went to see something that was bigger than themselves, his star, and they worshipped this newborn king. And because they did something that was bigger than themselves. We still talk about them every year. Every year. Because they were part of something bigger than themselves. They fixed their eye on his star and they followed it to the end and they worshiped the newborn king. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Hebrews. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, when he talks about the, life mar the race marked out for us, he's talking about our lives. He says, you know, God's given you this life. He said, persevere, run through this life. You know, live this life with perseverance, the life that God has marked out for you. 
But he says, do it with your eyes fixed on Jesus. Fixed on Jesus. God wants you to be part of something bigger than yourself. You know, God knows, you know, you're born, you go to school for 18 years, maybe you go to college, maybe you don't, you end up getting a job, you work for 40 years, 50 years, you retire, maybe you enjoy some good time off, and then you die. Is that all you want? Hmm. God has something bigger. God wants you to be a part of his plan. God wants you, your life to be part of his significant big plan. He wants you to do something that will last longer than yourself. God wants you to make a difference. He wants you to be part of his plan for the salvation of the world. He wants you to be part of his kingdom team, worshiping him and seeing his will come into being in this world. To do that, to be part of something bigger than ourselves, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we need to ask God to reveal to us what he wants us to do as part of his kingdom plans. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and you know what? It's, it's okay to sit down with other followers of Jesus and say, you know what? I feel like I have these passions. I feel like I have these, these gifts. I feel like I have these talents. How can I use them for part of God's great big plan? How can I be a part of of what God wants to do that'll live longer than me, that'll last forever. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to ask God those questions, and we need to connect with one another and, and pray about those questions and ask God to reveal them to us. We need to run our race, our life, with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And God will help us be part of something much bigger than we could ever imagine. I want to invite you this morning to ask God what he wants you to do with your life. To be part of his kingdom plan that's bigger than you. So I'm going to start us off in prayer and then I'm just going to go silent for a while. And you ask God. You ask God and expect God to answer you. All right? Let's pray. God, we know you love us so much. We know you care for us. We know that you have worked in our lives. We know, Lord, that you have called us to you to be part of something bigger. And that began when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. But there's so much more than that. And you know that. So, Lord, we ask you to speak to us right now. Speak to us. Go ahead, talk to God. speak to us. Let us hear what you want us to do to be part of your great big plan.
speak to us now. Remind us. Remind us, Lord. Let us hear it as we talk to others, as we read your word, as we uh, dream dreams, as you speak to us through your spirit. Nudge us into what you want us to do. Make it blatant before us. Call us out, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it's significant to me because Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we get an opportunity to, to taste and be reminded of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Now, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Scripture tells us that we need to prepare, prepare for it. And there's two ways to prepare. First is this way. Look, everybody who believes in Jesus Christ is invited to eat the bread and the cup. If you've never told Jesus you believe in him, today is your day. So in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And you can become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. That happened at our first service, and I pray that it happens again today. And then after that, after I conclude that prayer, then I'll also invite everybody into a prayer, prayer time of confession. So let's pray that first prayer. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come here to celebrate what you've done for us. And for any person in here today who's never told you they believe in, in you, Lord, we're going to give them the opportunity right now to, to pray this. So if that's you, just pray this silently. God, I believe in Jesus. Go ahead and pray that. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I pray that. I accept his forgiveness for my sins. And I, I want to follow him all the days of my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, look, I want to encourage you. So I invite you after the service to come up and see me. We have some material we'd love to give you to encourage you to, to grow in your faith with him. It's such a great God that we have. And, and he invites us to remember what he has done for us. So as we prepare, all of us prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Would you bow your heads with me? And I'm going to give you the opportunity to confess your sins in silence. Father, we are told that we should prepare to receive this meal. Do it in an appropriate way. So right now, Lord, we're going to pause and we're going to confess our sins to you. Hear our prayers, Lord. thank you that you forgive our sins. When we confess them, you forgive us and you clean us up and make us new. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite the communion servers to come forward and as they do, I'll just share some instructions with you about how we celebrate the Lord's Supper here. When the communion servers are in place, we'll invite everybody to come down by the center aisles. You can uh, Make two lines going to the right, two lines going to the left. There'll be the server on the left, server on the right, on each side that have the bread and the juice. You can take the bread and the juice 
And if you want to, you're invited to, to go to the side here where the walls are. and You can eat the bread and drink the cup. And uh, if you want to pray and, and meditate there, you're invited to do that also. If you have a, a food allergy, we have two kinds of bread. We have the discs that are non-allergenic, and then the other is pita bread. So let me remind you why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take it and eat it in memory of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my new covenant with you. It's my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all people. Take this and drink it in memory of me. Please stand and come to receive the Lord's Supper. As we've come in here today, we've come and we've heard God's word to challenge us to be part of his great big plan. And, and you know, we've just celebrated the Lord's Supper that reminds us that God had a plan to be our Savior. And he tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. He's part of his plan. So I want to challenge you as you leave this place today to ask God what he wants you to do as part of his plan, of his great plan that will last on longer than you, that will be something of significance that will be greater than you are. And I want to encourage you to run toward it. Follow it. I'm going to give us the final blessing, but the prayer team members will be up here to pray with you, to talk with you afterwards if you need that. But I encourage you when you go out in the cafe to talk about this, about what God wants for you. Now receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus.